that's why he, was, he sent uh, uh, Titus there to ordain pastors for the work of the ministry. And so now he's going to teach these pastors about what to teach the people so that they would know how to live godly in this world. And who doesn't need that? That's what we exist as a church for today. 2,000 years later, if you don't have a handout, raise your hand. We'll get you one of those. Um, that's, what, that's what it's all about. 2,000 years later, class, we are still learning what we must do to be godly in Jesus Christ, to walk in righteousness and holiness with God. That should be the desire of all of us. And so they had never had a godly pastor or a church before even. Imagine that. These believers didn't know what a church was. It was just forming. And so there was this loose group of believers who had maybe come to Pentecost and had come back to Crete. And now they're like, okay, what do we do now? Well, false teachers had come in. We're leading them astray. Paul says, hey, T Titus, go down there, ordain pastors, get, uh, get the church going, and I want you to teach them this. Here's what godly men should look like, godly women should look like, and teach them that as well. And that's what we come to in our text this morning. Um, <clears throat> Class, what do you think is our biggest issue that we face in the church in America? When you think about like the problems that the false teachers, you know, were giving to this loose group of church people then, and Paul has to come along and say, hey, here's how you have to live. You need to be sober. You need to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, ladies, men, you need to be, you know, wise and, and sober and honor, the, you know, others. They had to learn the basics. As we think about our matured church today, what are some of the issues, just briefly, what are some of the issues that we have to face as Christians today that keep us from being as godly as we should? Thoughts? Yes, sir. Dan? What's that? Apathy. Apathy. We get comfortable, don't we? Yeah, that's a, that's a common thing. It's just like, hey, we got church. We got lots of people around. We're, we're you know, we're... we're we got it made here, so why put too much energy and effort in this? We work hard. We got all these other ancillary things going on. Apathy can set in. What else? Distractions. All sorts of distractions. Way too many things. Our work can be the major distraction. Our family, even that. The, the stresses and pressures of life to provide for the family, to keep the family healthy, to keep the family pure and holy and separated from the world. That's tough. Distractions. So many churches watering down the gospel truth. Churches watering down the gospel truth where they're not teaching God's word as they should. Yeah. Anybody else? Trying to appeal to the world. Trying to appeal to the world? You know, the churches are trying to appeal to the world. Like the world. Yeah, they are, they're, they're watering down their methodology and their message in order to appeal to the world. And rather than be separated from them and preach, thus saith the Lord, they want to be more like them. And that makes the church weaker, if you will. There's lots of things going on. And so Paul, he says, look, there's no church down there, Titus. Go establish these godly men in the churches. And so that's what his, his whole point was. It was to allow these churches the freedom and the autonomy to develop godly character by the general guidance that he's going to give. He, he can't be specific on all these things because the book of Titus would have been half the size of the whole Bible if he had to give commands on every single thing that we're supposed to do to live the Christian life. And so he gives broad guidances and instructions and directions on how older men are supposed to live, how older women are supposed to live, how younger women are supposed to live, and how younger men are supposed to live, and then how servants 
employees are supposed to live as well. And so he's setting the stage for that. And so he's going to continue here and teach that a godly lifestyle and righteous living are not only for the pastors that he's setting up, it's to be for those who they're going to be ministering to in the churches that he's establishing. That's all of us then. This message is for all of us this morning. And so in Titus chapter 2, in verse 1, he says, But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. Titus, tell these pastors, preach sound doctrine. Well, what is sound doctrine? That's a, that's a broad brush, right? That's a broad statement. And so he's going to now get into it. He says there in verse 2, That the aged men... Here's sound doctrine, that they be sober, that they be grave, that they be temperate, they be sound in faith, in charity, and in patience. Of all the things that Paul could have told Titus to teach to these godly men, he gives one verse to the old men. And he says, teach the aged men this. Now, aged men class, in, as we think about it, back in Paul's day, the aged men were probably in their 60s. Mid-60s to late-60s would be aged men. It's kind of like that today where we have retirement age at 65. It would be somewhere similar to that. And so he's addressing these men first. And, and so in your notes there, he says the aged men. First of all, they are to be sober. And there's just a lot of, a lot of definitions here, a lot of instruction behind what these look like. So bear with me as we go through uh, describing what Paul was teaching us about all of us because it fits all of us. We're in here today, we're either older men or younger men, older women or younger women. But we're all younger in here, right class? Amen. Way younger, right? What about children? children? That's us. It says sober in mind. This is what sober means. It means sound in mind, vigilant in emotions and will, and rational and in control of all their faculties. How are we doing with that today so far, men? Think about it. To be sober-minded was a balance in life's burdens. They were older already. They had been through lots of life. And so they were to balance the burdens and the responsibility of life with a sense of hope, a sense of dependence, and a sense of confidence in the Lord. You see, when we mature, when we grow up in the Lord, we shouldn't be tripping and stumbling over the same things that we did when we were younger believers. And so Paul is telling Titus, tell these men of God, hey, be sober-minded. Be careful how you live. Be careful how you, you operate your life. Don't trip over the, the things that you might have tripped over when you were younger. Balance those pressures that come in life and don't let anything sort of overwhelm you anymore. Make Christ the focus of your life. Be sound-minded. Make wise judgments, good decisions. Because you're thoughtful, you're mature, you've been around the block now, and these older men who are going to be in the churches, they can be godly examples to the younger men by being sober, wise, sound in decision-making in their lives. So sober men today are not to give in to the cultural, guys. And this is for all of us. Though we're younger, we're going to talk about being sober as younger men as well. Most of us aren't 60 yet. So sober men today are not to give in to the cultural trends the intellectual influences or worldly vices of our day. And so think about that for all of us this week. Was there anything that would say this week, man, you know, I probably shouldn't have done that. I had that attitude. 
I made that decision and it, and it hurt my testimony. I responded to that person in an irritable way. I didn't have that mature grace that I should probably have at this stage of my Christian life. And so we can trip and stumble over these things. We're all prone to it. None of us ever arrive at a place of complete maturity. But we're to stay separated from sin and to stay engaged and informed about also what is trending in our world. That's, that's part of sobriety and maturity. So man, I'm going to encourage you, stay up on current events. Don't put your head in the sand Stay up on current events, but don't let current events worry you or concern you or like get you all worked up. Like, what am I going to do about my family? What am I going to do about this? How am I going to handle that? No, the mature, stable man handles that in a Christ-honoring way. He trusts the Lord because he knows what's going on in society and that, therefore, we can be a testimony to others around us because we're stable when it seems like the world is falling apart. That's part of what's going on. So stay up on current events, whether it be politics and business. You get an opportunity to witness when you start talking to someone about sports or about business or about culture or about politics. Though we might not be experts, it's good to be aware of some of those things. We're well-rounded. That's sober. We're, we're engaged. We're staying up with our kids and our grandkids. Our role as parent or, you know, even one day grandparents. Or some of us, maybe it's grandparents. And in our service as a servant of Christ in the local church. That's all part of this thing. So right from the outset, he's telling these older men, which applies really to all of us, live life with a purpose. Live life with gusto. Live life with joy. The joy of the Lord is our strength class. And God doesn't want us to be influenced so much by culture that we shrivel in our spiritual walk with the Lord. And so that's what he's, this is all sort of playing into all that. You know, the Bible says, I think I put it there in your notes, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, Though our outward man perish, this is great news for older men, isn't it? Though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. Can I get an amen out of that? Hey man, hey, there's hope here. Even though the body's wearing out, we can be, we can still be sh sort of sharp, I hope, you know, as we get older. And that's what God wants for us because why? We're staying attuned to what's going on in life. What's going on in the world with our spiritual walk and relating to others. Guys, don't unplug. Don't just let the world sort of eat us up or Become overwhelming. Stay engaged. So all that we get from just, old men, be sober. Be sober. Pay attention. Be sound-minded. Make wise decisions. I can't spend that much time on every single thing or we'll be here for six weeks. So let's keep going on. Be rational, be sober. He says, be grave. Grave. We don't use that term today. It's a, it's a King James word. But it means dignified. And it has a serious attitude towards life. And again, it demonstrates a, a mature lifestyle. Older men, can we can have fun and laugh and enjoy life, of course, because we've experienced many things and God has brought us through many things and we can look back and, and laugh at it and, and enjoy life. But at the same time, we also understand, wow, there is a lot of issues in life out there that have sunk people in misery and despair and regret and remorse. And as we live that life, we can look back, the older men look back and say, wow, I know what they're going through. I've been through that. 
And I want to be a blessing. I want to help them. So they take a seriousness to life as a testimony, as a blessing to the younger people around their grave. They're serious about loving God. They're serious about hating sin. They're serious about having their family walk with the Lord. And, and as a grandfather gets older and has the gray hair or the bald head, you know, the hoary head has wisdom, ideally. And so because of their life experience, they're grave, they're mature, and they can speak into the hearts and lives of the younger men, their grandchildren as well, and the younger women. And so that's, that's sort of what grave mean. Grave men are dignified. That's a good word. And respectable men who live their lives to count for Christ as their highest priority. They've done so many other things in life. It's now like, wow, I really see Christ is the most important thing in my life. And they're serious about that. That's what grave means. You know, when Jesus told the parable of the nobleman taking his journey to a far country, and he said to his ten servants, Occupy till I come. You know what that means, class? I think we mostly understand what that means. When he says, Occupy till I come, he's saying, Hey, stay busy, stay engaged, be motivated to walk with God, to keep your life right to do your work with fervency, to be faithful to the Lord, to be faithful to your family, the guy comes back and it's a mess. At least with the young guy, the one guy had made 10 towns, so they gave him another 10 towns. The other guy made five towns, so he gives him five towns. The other guy didn't do anything. And he's, he said, I knew that you were an austere man and, and harsh and that you would require a lot of me, so I was afraid and I buried my, my talents. And he said, you didn't even use your life for a little bit, even when you invest, you should gain some interest. You should invest it in something. Give me some return. But he hadn't. And so he said, I'm going to take away from that person even what he has, and I'm going to give it to the man with ten talents. Because, class, God has given to each of us a life, abilities, purpose, skills, experiences. And he says here, when we're being grave, he says, occupy till I come. Stay involved. Stay engaged. Be plugged into God. I'm repeating that again from the first one, but that's what he means. Let's not let life pass us by. Be grave. Take a seriousness about life until he returns. Stay at it. Keep working until he comes. Third one is temperate. You see there in your notes, temperate, you mean, it means self-controlled. It means cautious in how he conducts his behavior and never brings shame to himself, his family, or God. Have you ever blown it? Yeah, we all have. And we feel that sense of, oh man, Lord, why did I do that? If I could just have a redo over that. We sometimes feel that way. Class, what I think he's saying here is we want to make those redo moments a long distance apart. We don't want to be messing up and having a redo and messing up and having a redo. No, we want that redo moment to be long time in between that we're doing those things. Why? Because wisdom is we learn from those things so we don't keep doing the same things over and over and over again. And so if we have messed up, and we all do, we've done something that would bring embarrassment, would bring shame, would bring remorse, would bring regret, would bring conviction, all those things. You know, God wants us to quickly confess those 
humble ourselves, repent, turn from it, and say, you know, I'm not going to do that again. I've learned from that. That's a, that's a wise person that does that. That's a, that's a temperate person, self-controlled. He's cautious in his conduct. On the workplace, gentlemen, are you cautious in your conduct? Do you watch where your eyes go when there's a beautiful woman around? Ladies, are you cautious? We didn't get to ladies yet, so I'll hold off on that. So, so men, are we, are we wise in how we do our work and how we manage our family? We don't want to be a, a poor example to our children. And so we don't want to keep making those same mistakes. And so I'll say here, are we plugged in? Are we training our children in righteousness? Do they see us praying? Are you praying with your children? Are you reading the scriptures with your kids, guys, who have kids at home? It's the best thing you can do because you're investing in their lives. And when they get older, you know what? It begins to circle back around. Dad, thanks. Thanks for not being a hypocrite. Thanks for keeping it straight. Thanks for, for raising us according to God's standard. That's a blessing when you have your kids turn back around and say that to you. You're building that right now in their lives. Let's not mess up. Stay at it. When we do mess up, we humble ourselves, confess it. Oh, forgive me, Dad. You know, son, I, I did this. Or daughter, I, I... Dad was just... He made a mistake. And we, and we change and we transform. Be, be temperate. And the next thing he says there is sound in faith. To be sound in faith. Now, as an older, mature man in the faith who has walked with God for a long time, he's going to have a deep and healthy, robust, the word there is confidence in God, and will not be easily shaken. How many of you heard about Josh Harris? Raise your hand. Only two of you? Three or four? Josh Harris was a guy who wrote a book, I Kissed Dating Goodbye. Sex isn't the problem, lust is. He's written lots of these books, and he was an independent, fundamental Baptist guy. He was dyed in the wool, one of us, and said, hey, you should probably court, not date, before you get married, because you really want to you know, keep yourself pure. And he was right down the line. Do you know he's divorcing his wife, and, and we're pulling his books from our shelves. He's pro-homosexual, and he's apologizing to the homosexual community for what he's written in the past that he says was grossly wrong. The things that we believe. He fell off the wagon. And you can type his name in Josh Harris and see what's going on. That's a, that's a painful, painful situation. Guys, what we're talking about here <clears throat> is we're sound in faith. We don't hold on to God for a while then fall off the wagon. We believe truth and we hold on to truth because truth doesn't change. Amen, guys? It stays the same. And so we're going to hold on to the truth with everything we got. And we as pastors need you men to hold truth high in your family. Don't compromise it. Stand strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Walk with God yourself. Have a testimony. And then pass that on to your children with fervency and passion. That's, that's what God is, is, again, teaching these older men through Titus that Paul is saying, be sound in faith. Have a confidence in God. Don't be wishy-washy. Be stable. Yes, sir. I just have a question for you personally. What do you think happens to a guy like Josh Howard that is so... What is your counsel to him that he's going through 
You know, um, as I think about it, I, I think about Demas. The Bible says about Paul, Demas hath forsaken me having loved this present world. We don't know that if Demas, you know, never really truly was saved, but there's only one of two things. Either they're grossly backslidden, in which if they don't repent, God, there is a sin unto death. The Bible says in James, I do not say that you should pray for it. Or there wasn't truly genuine salvation. And I can't imagine that with Josh Harris. It's just that he has allowed himself to become indoctrinated by the world and has left his first love. And I believe that God will either convict him or bring him back to repentance or let him go, give himself over to, like Romans 1, give himself over to his own vile affections. And it might cost him his life early. Who knows? Who knows? But it's sad and it's real. And that's a good living example for all of us to say, examine yourself whether you be in the faith. Stay at it. Don't become double-minded, wishy-washy in any way. A double-minded man is what class? In all his ways. Yeah, that's for later for the young men, but while we're talking about it now, I thought I'd throw it in there. Pastor. Yes, sir. Yes. Everything has become so. I'm, I'm, I'm seeing this two months in, and I'm, I'm trying to scratch my noggin and figure things out and going, what? Mm-hmm. Uh, and even my kids have come to me and said, you know, we've seen people attend us at a restaurant or at Sonic, the drive through. You know, there's a guy, definitely a guy, you know, but in every other fashion form, he, he wanted to try really hard to look like a girl. And, you know, especially my 13 year old, he's like, Dad. I'm like, Talk in the car. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, he's been on the mission field pretty much 90% of his life, so he's very transparent. Uh, all my kids are. I'm even a little too transparent sometimes, and I gotta not be <laughs> sorry. I'm not. But the key thing is one of the first things you start off by saying is men, or, or in this case, everyone, let's keep our heads out of the sand. Uh, we need to be aware of what's going around us. Because when we need to be sound in faith, when we need to be tempered, when we need to be all these things, knowing the absolute truth and sticking to it will avoid us going through the Josh Harris syndrome, you know, which is going through in a lot of churches in America. Uh, two weeks ago, my, my oldest, Michael, who is 19 in a youth class this morning, uh, is probably my right-hand guy. I love him to death, but two Thursdays ago, he was sitting in the couch, sorry, two Wednesdays ago, he was sitting on a couch at four o'clock in the afternoon, bawling his eyes out, saying, Dad, I don't want to go to church. Mm. Well, this is a guy who is in love with Jesus, loves Christ, loves the church of the Lord. But in our time here, in two months, we've already seen so much double-facedness. I'm talking inside the local church, he was going, Dad, I don't want to go. Yeah. I'm fed up with this. Yeah. And when we are, when we avoid these things at home, it's going to start, and we're seeing an epidemic all across our nation today, and I pray that God will keep us strong in this area. Amen. Because if not, we're all going to fold. Amen. Amen. 
And thank you for sharing from the outside, looking in, coming back to our culture to remind us, class, this is good, to remind us, hey, here's someone coming from outside America, looking in, and in a very short time, they're seeing the what is going on in this culture, not just in the secular culture, but right in the church. The Bible says in the last times there's going to come a falling away. A falling away. That's called apostasy. It's, it's a declension, a declining from the truth. And so... The good news is that happens in the end times, which means Christ is coming back soon. Amen to that? He's coming back. But it also means that there's a lot of false doctrine out there. There's a lot of misinformation. And this is where culture now begins to influence the church more than the church influence culture. And we get overrun like a tsunami of worldliness and it comes in and, and devastates the church because they lose their moorings from the truth. And that's why we have lessons like this this morning to remind us, stay sound in the faith. Hold on to truth with everything you got. Jesus said, sanctify them by thy truth, thy word. What class? Thy word is truth. And so we want to stay at it. Stay in the Word of God. Don't substitute it for anything else. Don't be wishy-washy in your devotions, in your personal walk with God. Because guess what, fellas, for you, you are to be the spiritual leaders of your home, not Pastor Wendell, Pastor Eifert, Aylstock, Joyner, or Colton. It's all of us as men. And so hold that banner high. Step into that position with joy, with resolution that you are going to Teach the truth to your children and don't let it waffle. Don't let it waver. You had a question or a comment. Well, you know what? I, I did want to say something about it because that's just so disheartening. Yeah. You know, I mean, it really is to hear this. But yes, I questioned like the gentleman behind me about was there actual true salvation? But it sounds like there could be genuine repentance and then just turning away. I mean, how does that it is scary. The, the issue is we can't look into someone's heart, can we? we? We just can't look into someone's heart and say, well, that person's definitely saved or they're not. That, only God knows that. So we can look at the fruit. We're fruit inspectors. We're not root inspectors, right? The root is under the ground, right? <laughs> we inspect the fruit, but we can't see the root. And so that's critical for us to say, you know, God, you know. And I don't like what that person has done. And it hurts our walk with Christ, our, our testimony. And people then see that and say, oh, well, that Christianity stuff, there you go. There's one of your dyed-in-the-wool solid guys writing books and everything else. And now he's completely changed. He's adopted culture. Well, it is a sign of the times. Because he's allowed, he must have deviated from truth to allow falsehood and the devil. And the devil is wily, is he not? He's a deceiver. He's a trickster. And he wants to deceive all of us into believing false doctrine. And if he can get to leaders, if he can get to spiritual leaders, even the Mitch thing, that's a hard thing. And if he can get to leaders, then he can shake in the faith of the rank and the file. Well, don't you be rank and file. You be steadfast, unmovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as we know our labor is not in vain in the Lord. Comment over here. Yes, sir. Just a quick thought for me also. That with the culture today, you can't give up even one thing on the doctrinal truth. It's a slippery slope. Mm -hmm. And we don't want to go about it 
and a haughty, holier-than-thou attitude, but rely on God's word and the Holy Spirit. Don't give up on one little thing, because then you give up on this, it's easier to give up on that. Next thing, you're a job. Yeah, did you hear that? Don't, don't give up on one little thing. Don't give up on one little thing. Don't, don't compromise in one little area. Hold your finger here in Titus and just turn to Hebrews. About four pages back in your Bible to Hebrews chapter 2, just real quick. Hebrews chapter 2. That, this reminds me, your comment there reminds me of Hebrews chapter 2. Verse 1 class. Look what it says. Everybody there? Hebrews 2, 1. Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time... We let them what? You know what slip means? You drift. We just let it slip. It's not necessarily a harsh rejection like, no, I'm not, I'm not believing that anymore. It's not like we shaking our fist at God saying, I'm done with this. It can be just a little slippage. A little compromise here. A little apathy there a little weakness here, a little self-indulgence over there, just a little, and pretty soon, just like when we, like I've talked about before, the illustration, when you're in a boat or you're in a raft or something like that and the current takes you out, and next thing you know, you're, you're playing in the boat or in the raft and you look back and there's the shore way back there. How'd I get out here? Just slowly by slowly, not paying attention, we drift. We can drift spiritually, can't we? That's the easier way. I doubt any of us in here right now have the mindset, or you wouldn't be an ABF. You're not thinking, you know, God, I'm just tired of this Christian life. I'm not going to live for you. I'm not going to do this. I don't see anybody in here. You're an ABF. Praise the Lord. But the slippage is more the possibility, the more the, the temptation, the greater the temptation probably for most of us. Because we don't have a rebellious heart against the Lord. It's more of just a, Sometimes a complacency, an apathy, just a, well, you know, I know I should be in church, or I know I should be praying with my kids, or I know I should be kinder to my spouse, but Lord, I'm so under pressure. And that slippage happens, that slippage happens, and we drift. And he says, take heed that you don't let yourself drift. And so that means staying in the Word of God, taking heed to yourself, paying attention to you. And what's going on? And say, am I letting the world in? Watch what you watch on TV. Watch what you read in their books and magazines. Or watch what you're looking at on, on social media and how much time you spend there. Just guard it. Pay attention to it. Lord, is this a stumbling block for me? Is this a weakness for me? Am I, am I allowing myself to be given over too much to that and cultures having more of an influence than I am in the Word of God? That's the devil's Subtle device to lure us away. Yes, ma'am. Um, Kelly? I want to say one thing to all of it. Growing up in a Christian home, yes. and my parents, oh my goodness, such, I was just grounded in everything. But um, I would say, looking back at it, one of the most frustrating things for me, even being young, and I was, you know, saved at a young age, was that I felt like that outward was such a Anybody who was doing something like smoking or had a tattoo, they were bad. Mm -hmm. And I think in time, I think um, that's kind of was just really hard for me that now I feel like I, I feel like almost like the church has tried. 
trying to help people, re- like, help the church be like, no, like, in the past we would, like, shun those people. Like, I, I just, and my parents were loving people. I'm not trying to say that I was brought up, like, but I just feel like maybe legalism or something was uh, just, I don't even know if I'm saying these things right, but for me today, I think that um, where the church is at is it's trying to be more like, look, we're accepting. Anybody is can come. Yeah. Not that that wasn't to say that in the past, but I just feel like we're at this point where we are trying to be more loving. We are trying to be more gracious, but some are then not standing on this solid foundation. Yes, yes, yes. Your husband's saved, though. He's, he's saved. No, no. You're, you're pointing to him. Steve, do we need to have a chat? Right? <laughs> Perfectly. Perfectly. You've used your words very well. Has everyone heard what Kelly said? Could you hear that back there? No? Yeah, yeah, really. See, what she's saying was that, you know, sometimes in the Christian life, our parents maybe have were firmer or harder on standards, on yes and no, this is right, this is wrong, and, and were maybe firmer on truth, and that turned the next generation off. Like, you're being too strict, you're being legalistic, you're being too harsh with rules and regulations and laws. And so therefore, they fall into the legalism ditch. you got to do this because, you know, your righteousness is dependent upon you not wearing too tight of pants or too short of a skirt or not going to movies or whatever else. You didn't say all that, but that's kind of where we're, we're going. And so there's, there's too, we're too strict. The reaction, the response to that is this next generation coming over on this side and saying, well... Let's not be so firm. Let's not be so judgmental. Let's not be so harsh. Let's not be so critical. In fact, let's be more loving. Let's be more, key word here, tolerant of people who are different from us in the church. And we'll just let that pass. We'll let that pass, not say anything because we want to show love. So we'll tolerate and we'll be kind and we'll be loving and so on and so forth. That's in essence what she has said. Now, class, 
My answer to that is the mainstream of the Christian life is righteousness in Christ and not to fall into two ditches. The ditch of legalism, well, because we have these standards, you have to, have to follow those standards and not have a close relationship with Christ. We have a relationship with standards. And thus saith the Lord, do this, do that, do this, do that, and rules and regulations. That's, that's legalism. Not the former term for legalism, formal term, but the way we use it today is doing things righteously in order to earn righteous favor with God because of the things that we do. Sort of a secondary definition of legalism. Okay, keeping the law technically is legalism, but, but this is um, not living according to a certain standard, and if they don't, we judge them for that. That's legalistic. That's a ditch, because then we become, become very judgmental. The ditch on the other side is licentiousness. You've heard that term before, license. Hey, I'm free in Christ. I can do anything I want now. And no one, the church can't tell me what to do. I, you know, God's Word, that's, that's old and that's, that's uh, sort of worn out. We have culture today and we have movies and Facebook and everything else that we can look at to get our morals. And so, therefore, you should, you should love me, Christian. You should love me. You shouldn't be telling me I shouldn't do that. And therefore, we give license to people to almost say, well, I can do anything. And never say, wait, no, 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 no. That's beyond what God's Word teaches. The balance to those things is not to be legalistic or licentious, but to be loving in a relationship with Jesus Christ that we follow what His law, what His Word says. So if we have to call someone out, it's in a loving way. It's not in a self-righteous, hey, I'm holier than you. You can't do that because I don't do that. I'm better than you. You, you, you don't even have a part here in our church. And not look down on them with a hypocritical, you know, holier-than-thou spirit and yet still proclaim truth in a loving way. The Bible says in Ephesians 4.15, we're to speak the truth in love. And then we don't come over here and just let people get away with anything when they're doing something wrong. When the man is living with a woman and I'm counseling someone, well, I don't want to upset them. They're living in sin, so I'll just you know, let that go because I don't want to hurt their feelings. Class, I want you to know as one of your pastors, I can't just let that go. Are you okay with that? We've got a, you know, that wasn't as heavy of an amen as I thought I'd get there. Are we okay with that? <laughs> good, 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 good. Yes, but I'm not going to just judge them and be nasty with them and say, hey, you guys are sinners. Get out of my office. I'm never going to talk to you again. Oh, my word. That's extreme, of course. But we're going to lovingly say, well, let's, let's look at what, how Jesus would respond to this. Let's see what the Bible says. And we go back and we use our wonderful, perfect reference source for truth. And we give that to them in a loving way. I can't make them do truth. I can only present truth to them. Every time we get up here and speak, we're presenting truth. You take it as you will and as you want, but we're not going to compromise on truth. And therefore, for someone who's off the rails, it's going to be up to them what they do, but we're still going to love them even though they might reject what we say right now. We're going to be faithful and consistent to do the right thing and speak the truth in love. And that's what you want to do with your children, with your family, when you have an opportunity to interact with your coworkers, and so on and so forth. You're living the truth. You're speaking the truth. You're displaying the truth. You're loving the truth to people. That's what it is. Jesus said... All, all men will know that you are my disciples by the love that you have one for another, right? 
And so that is so vital that we have that loving, you know, attitude and spirit that makes a difference. And it does, it does weaken the hardened heart of someone when they see, hey, you're, doing, you're not just pounding on me. You're not just pummeling me with truth. You're lovingly feeding it to me that it's more palatable that I can receive it and do something with it. Thank you for that. Yeah, you're, you're drawing me to you in the truth that you're teaching me because you're saying in a way that I can receive it. And they don't put their wall up in as quickly. Y yes. No, on Pastor Eric, I'm sorry. I have no, to no, no, no. No, no. So we'll, right now, we'll continue this class next week. I didn't even get a third away through my notes. You know that. Now that the elections are out, you're going to have people showing up at your doors. I realized after she left, I'm pretty sure that she was from the homosexual community. I could tell from her sandals. You know what I mean? No, no, no. I don't mean no harm. I'm just saying. But when I had the discussion with her, because she was talking to me about, you know, and I told her just very gently. I didn't even know, which was perfect. Like the Holy Spirit quickened me. And she started arguing with me. Oh, you evangelical people. I said, let me tell you something. Four years ago, I was a diehard Democrat. I said, well, let me tell you something. And I did. I shared the gospel. I said, you go to John 3, 3. I said, what religion are you? Because I don't like religion. I said, neither do I. Neither does God. Mm -hmm. I said, but let me tell you something. When, you're, mm -hmm. when you become born again, I said, God, he puts a new heart in you. Amen. Amen. And you will see the truth yes. for what it is. And I said, and no matter what we think, no matter what we think is right in this life, our ways are not God's ways and our thoughts are not God's thoughts. Amen. And you know, she walked away. I, I saw her and she was just standing there for a while. I thought, you know, Lord, I, I, I think the Holy Spirit quickened me to say the right things. Mm -hmm. I didn't go into any type of an attacking battle, but I also didn't tell her what, need, what she wanted to hear. Mm. Excellent. But, but they're all going to come to the doors, everybody, especially the, the Democrats. And when they find out you're a Republican, they don't like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yes, that's right. That is true. Yeah. And, and that's the, the war that we wage, a political war, a social war, a spiritual war. Yes. You know, they don't like what we stand for, right? Mm -hmm. We're the ones toting our guns and God and religion, right? I mean, mm -hmm. generally, if we're, if we're God's people. And so we can't let that silence us. Don't let that in the public discourse silent you. You stand up for Christ. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify the Father which is in heaven. Did you have a comment you wanted to make? Nice and loud. I, I, I know where you were coming from. Kelly, is that your name? Kelly? Kelly. Because I was raised in a very Christian home to the point where I was spending up until two years ago, which is why I got baptized here. here. It, it's, you know it's the enemy of God. It's all spiritual warfare because how, it's oxymoron to believe in Jesus Christ but say, but think in your mind, even being raised a Christians because that was so legalized, but that because of one thing, that's going to send you to hell. It's an oxymoron. How can you believe and pray to Jesus Christ and be going to hell? Hmm. So the point, and that's what legalism did for me. But yes. when Christ entered my heart, yes. my whole, my life changed. Amen. Whole changed. So love, it, it just was pouring out on me. People were coming to me, asking me questions, and I let God do that relational relationship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit is real. Amen. Mm -hmm. Amen. It's real in the sense of when we, when we wake up in the morning, we have to remember that it's a spiritual battle and we have to have our whole armor of God on before we get up out of bed. Yes, and yes. And when, dis when we disconnect from the source, Jesus, how do we stay in God's love? Yeah. By staying connected to Jesus. Amen, amen. And that's all day long. It's a spiritual warfare. And I think, you know, there's an article that I saw, to, just to summarize this, who's a, a gay man who was given the gospel. 
and God spoke to his heart. He's no longer a gay man. He's a gay, he was a former gay man. He's no longer a gay man because he, he wants to hold on yes. to eternity. Amen, amen. When you want to hold on to God, you hold on to Jesus. Amen. You shall know the truth. The truth shall what? Set yeah. you free. Set you free. You know, Jesus said, abide in me and I in you. If my words abide in you and you abide in me, you'll bear much fruit. You'll be my disciple. And then he said, without me, you can do nothing. It is about keeping that close relationship with Jesus Christ that is so critical to living victoriously over this world. Bonnie, you had a question or comment. I had this come up with Bella this week. Uh, or not, actually, it was last week. Bella, you know, some of the, her friends listen to secular music, and I have a very strong feeling about that. And I kept saying, no, we don't listen to that. But she didn't really know why. And I grew up in a church like my friend over there, you know. I had my standards handed to me, and I didn't know why. And I said, let's do this for the next two weeks. I want you to pray about it and ask God what he wants you to do. Mm -hmm. And the other day she came to me and she said, I know he doesn't want me to listen to that. Mm. And so now she's not getting it from me. She's getting yes. it from her husband. Excellent, father. excellent, excellent. Praise and the Lord. And I thought that's the way it should be done. I think. Yes, praise the Lord. That is beautiful. That is beautiful. Jason, one more. So, so what we'll do, guys, let, just let me tell you now. So we got through one-third of one-half of our <laughs> notes, okay? But... Praise the Lord. It's a good discussion, right? This is what we want. This is huge. So this coming week is missions conference week. So we're going to have a missionary in here next week. We will continue this lesson the following week. So you're going to want to be back. We'll get through the same rest of the notes talking about this very thing. So please come be here. We'll continue the discussion. It's helpful for all of us. To, to get these things to be regrounded, re restoked a bit, to say, okay, yeah, I'm going to commit myself to living for God, walking with God. Jason. I just wanted to say. Um, no pressure. You got the final comment here today. Did you guys hear them? Can you speak a little louder? Drinking last week. That's what he was <laughs> <laughs> just, just last week? <laughs> no, <laughs> long time ago. <laughs> Amen. Once they do, oh, <laughs> you back in the truck, do you? Once they open that door, yes. I have the privilege to not lose my job, and I can talk freely about God and let them know how He has changed my life. Amen. And it's amazing where they look at me now and have no idea where I've come from. Hmm. And the lows that they come from, they look at me now. They don't know I was there. Yes. So I can relate. And that's the first thing I say. Oh, I can relate to you. They look at me like you can. Oh, yes, I can. <laughs> because what you're doing in your life, I've been there. Yeah, yeah. You know, and God amen. saved me. Amen, amen, amen. You know? So that's just God's power just putting me in the right place at the right time in my life. Yes, amen. Praise God. Folks, we all have a testimony if we know J
The Bible says, if the Son of Man be lifted up, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. All of us this week have the opportunity to lift up Jesus Christ. Do that. Let Him be known by your life, your love, and your lips. We'll come back in two weeks and talk about it. Great class today. Thank you for the input. Thank you for the feedback. Let's go live for God this week. Let's pray, shall we? Father, thank you for a wonderful class this morning. Thank you for every single soul in this classroom. We love one another. We love the people of God in this church. Thank you that this church has been a beacon of truth for 35 years now. And Lord, I pray that we would redouble our efforts, that we would be steadfast and unmovable in your truth. Lord, that we would love your law, that we would apply your truths to our own lives, in our family, and in this culture. And Lord, I pray that as we come back even next week and the week after, that we would be able to give testimony of how you worked through us to bring glory to your name and bring people to yourself. Bless each one of us as we seek to serve you with joy and help us not to drift. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you, guys. Have a great day. See you up at the, uh, at the luncheon. <laughs>